Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. Not hidden past, as I apparently said last <laughs> week and only discovered when I edited the episode. Uh, my brain was a little scattered, can't think why. Ugh, how's everybody doing? Hidden past. Mm, that's a different mm. podcast. It is. Ugh, it gets better ratings than ours. Probably. But good news! We have a shout out. So thank you ever so much to Lisa for joining us over at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. We hope you enjoy the newsletter and all the other bonus content uh, to which you now have access. Um, and that is not the only good news. Mm-hmm. Emma. July 1st was our fourth birthday. Amber got me a very nice card. And we continue <laughs> to be- us a, a card. Yeah. What <laughs> was the a, card, Anna? Tell everyone what the card was. It was a shiny gold Indiana Jones Father's Day card. And you crossed out <laughs> dad and wrote co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect. <laughs> like even the people in my, my coworkers at my day job were like, you're kind of a dad. That's <laughs> fine. That's great. I'm everybody's dad. Um, So it was our fourth birthday and we continue to be amazed that we get to make this show for bafflingly an ever growing audience. Yeah. And we show is now learning how to read. Oh yeah. We couldn't have gotten this far without your support listeners. So thank you. Thank you for sharing the show far and wide and for posting ratings and reviews on assorted podcast platforms, platforms, Mm. on assorted podcast platforms like these. Oh, no, you're going to read reviews? They're all nice. Oh, okay, good. Because I don't read reviews. I know you don't. That's why I chose nice ones. <laughs> for the, re- Wait, for the most part. N- See, not that I saw. No way, there's no winning in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I've only listened to one episode so far on Maroon Communities, but it was great. It was the perfect mix of approachable conversation and thoughtful professionalism. Uh-huh. It was highly entertaining and also highly educational. I just visited the Caribbean. Sounds nice. So I'm hoping they will do more episodes focusing on that region. I'm excited to listen to their other episodes. They sound fascinating. Oh, thank you. Some may not get over the giddiness of the hosts, but the passion, I mean, yeah, we've read those emails, but the passion shines through for those who understand. Interesting topics and well-researched and documented. Getting more and more into the library will give you a greater appreciation of the work put in and it's necessary to figure out the nuances of the conversations. Ah, mm-hmm. also, I never get over people just like describing me like as like giddy or like chirpy or anything like that because I am like well, they're one of the, external like, to your inside voice. People I know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not all of it makes it outside your face. Like That's true, I you're guess you're very internally <laughs> unpleasant person. <laughs> Love you. Uh, one more. The dirt is one okay. of my most looked forward to podcasts. 
Amber and Anna clearly put so much thought, not just into what they talk about, but how they talk about it. They're funny and personable without drawing attention away from the subject matter. Also, the show notes are a great resource for every, nope, for anybody who's doing their own research or just can't get enough archaeological slash anthropological reading material. So thank you. Thank you. Those are so nice. Oh, and thank you, uh, last reviewer, for understanding that do your own research doesn't mean watching YouTube videos about it. <laughs> it's like, mm. it's like, act- well, like, you know, like lots of people say, like, I did my own research. And so I would just yep. watch like anti-vex. Yeah. Like, people talking at their forward facing camera. That, that's why <laughs> like, I may be the- non-committal mm. noise. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, but okay, great. All that was all great, 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 great. One more great thing. I got another great thing. One more great thing. So all the way back in January, we told our patrons about pass the mic, and we sort of referenced it obliquely. I think in oh, our yeah. catching up with the dirt episode, and also um, this past uh, last week's episode, I said like we're going to introduce a new thing so soon, and it was well, cool. But we didn't say what it was called, right? Then. So reference obliquely okay. incredibly obliquely <laughs> no, i think we talked about it in oh. our uh, catching up with the dirt mm, I'm, okay. I'm trying to like i was alluding to like actual references <laughs> that we made to it so um but pass the mic is a small grants program that we were developing and continue to be developing um, and designed to support conference travel for um, undergraduate and graduate students in anthropology and archaeology and sort of allied fields, allied fields, not mm-hmm. allied fields. <laughs> um, so that program exists now. Bow, so bow, bow. I, yeah. So I took a week off work last month and for which I am Uh, extremely grateful because the idea of me organizing all of what you did is tough well you don't have to think about that because the program is now live and you can find out more over at thedirtpod.com slash pass the mic. Um, so the application period is open. Uh, there's like a whole, there's like the whole thing about like what, where, what we can and won't, uh, cover like all of the stuff that we're looking for and all of the, the requirements for application. Um, all of that stuff is there on the website. And so you can, um, if you are a student who is um, either already knows that you'll be apply- you'll be presenting at a conference um, be- between now and, well, not, well, between October and March. Um, go check it go out. Go ahead and apply. Yeah. And, and also if you sort of are waiting for your paper to be accepted or supposed to be accepted or whatever, um, and you're trying to like, figure out how you're going to get there if it is approved um, you can also apply so apply sometime between now and august 26th and you can find all of the the deets over on the dirtpod.com slash pass the mic so we're really 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 proud of this and so grateful to our patreon supporters and the folks who sponsor episodes because that money goes right back into the show and outreach including pass the mic and also beginning now um (laughs) any episodes that you sponsor so the sponsored episodes where folks um make a a minimum donation of 25 dollars um all of that money is earmarked specifically for our grants program Mm -hmm. um so before it kind of just rolled into 
a bucket. General show costs. Uh, yeah, uh, just our, our show costs and, and that, that kind of stuff. But now that is, from here on out, um, only used for pass the mic. Pass the mic. Um, so, yeah. So, hey. like, if there were even... if. As if there weren't enough incentive to sponsor an episode. Because we've got some holes in our editorial calendar. Yeah. Here, so Do you if have you things wanna... that you would love us to talk about and that aren't, you know, terrible or racist or anything like that? Because we, we reserve the right to say no thank you to those. Oh, this is just like thinking about all the topics that I'm covering. <laughs> that are all terrible well, and racist. <laughs> but we're looking at them well, analytically. It's not just like someone asking us to prove aliens you know if you want to give me 25 dollars for that you can do your own show do your own research (laughs) but now we've we've got our own show because we're finally we're almost we're done with the dirt at sea right we're done we're done being the ocean which i realize this is the point where i four years I think this might be the first time that I've like really like had no time for any like cultural relativism where I'm just like people eat bugs from the sea <laughs> just like, this is my line <laughs> this is the part where I get like really like judgmental is mollusks <laughs> wow okay uh, like well, I've just I realized this and like going through this this series of just being like oh I'm just like Get out of there. What are you doing? This is our last episode in the Dirt at Sea or Dirt Walks into the Sea series. Uh, and we hope we hope that despite uh, Amber's judgment about mollusks and other just, uh, ocean existence. Get out of there. Get out of there. <laughs> uh, we hope that you've had fun with us frolicking in the waves for a bit. But this is the last one. We've got more differently themed content starting next week. So <laughs> buckle up for that. But this week we're searching for the sea peoples. Oh, I'm on I'm on the sea peoples diet. Oh oh no. <laughs> okay, the, go on. The sea peoples is. I a told term. myself I wasn't gonna use that joke because it did not pass the bar. Where is the bar? Because the bar it, under the sea. <laughs> the okay, sea peoples. Is this what it's like being you with me around? <laughs> The Sea Peoples is a term that refers to a seafaring culture of unidentified and hotly debated origin that bopped around the eastern Mediterranean and adjoining areas around 1200 to 900 BCE. We're going to go through some theories. The Sea Peoples, they're from here, or were they? Um, So let's start at the beginning, the first place where we see the term, at least sort of in the modern scholarly era. And so that is because because they are called people of the sea in Egyptian texts. So we'll get to that. But for now, we're in 1855 CE when Emmanuel de Rouget, who at the time was the curator of the Louvre before the giant glass pyramid got plopped down in front of it. And Emmanuel de Rouget wrote note on some hieroglyphic texts recently published by Mr. Green. The texts. hmm, Who's here? Mr. Green. Um, It was someone who published uh, translations and photographs of hieroglyphs inscribed at Medinet Habu, the mortuary temple of Ramses III. So 
In particular, of these inscriptions, Derugé noted that on the second pylon of the temple, there was a massive relief of a battle scene where the pharaoh, and I've got the illustration here for Amber to look at, where the pharaoh, shown much larger than everyone else because he's important, is engaged in battle. He's shooting arrows with a, at a whole crowded mess of people in boats. And mess is the word for it. This I remember is, it's this. It's very chaotic. I remember this specific image from... Um, the introduction, like mm-hmm, archaeology mm-hmm. 101. It does come and, up. There's just a lot. It's sort of, a, it's like, it's almost like a, like a professor. Where's Waldo. Um, like that's how closely packed together the little people are. It's just very, it's total chaos, which. Yeah, it's a real mess. Like, I, I think like it's a, probably was. Like from like a sort of analysis standpoint, mm. it's, it's really mm-hmm. great. Like it's a great mm-hmm. image. Because it is like a very like chaotic, it's like a very like Ridley Scott. Sure. <laughs> um, uh huh. Um, so this is this this is them. This is so yes. This is this is the Pharaoh Ramses the Third doing some battle against, among other mm-hmm. people, the Sea Peoples. Is he standing on some captives? He is. He sure is. They don't look thrilled about it. So we've, we've got this relief. We've got it inscribed like these are the peoples of the sea and Ramses really kicked their butts. Then in the 1860s-ish CE, a French Egyptologist named Sir Gaston Camille-Charles Maspero suggested, so French, that a group of marauding invaders whom he called the Sea Peoples were responsible for bringing the late Bronze Age to an end shortly after 1200 BCE. And he based this on a number of Egyptian inscriptions because the name pops up here and there, especially those on the walls of Medinet Habu. So the one that De Rouget had referenced in 1855. Correct. So like those same They're ones. both talking about the okay. same inscriptions. And so um, Ramses III would have been, was he like the last, the, the, the last uh, pharaoh? I mean, he's the father of Ramses the Fourth, so no. Interesting. Okay, so the Bronze Age. When we talk about the Bronze collapse. Age, yes, collapse. Um, I think what these scholars are referring to is in the sort of larger Mediterranean, but not Egypt. Okay, so all right, so we're talking about a Bronze Age collapse, mm. which um, long-time <laughs> listeners of the okay. show, well, short-time listeners of the show, will also know, like, isn't really a concept that like. It doesn't hold we up. Believe it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah, I'm a real collapse truther here. And so um so talking about as we talk about trying to identify who the sea peoples were, we are also going to be talking about what happened at the end of the Bronze Age and like what this transitional period looked like. Um, because they they show up because what happens when you have somebody who is not they don't describe themselves. They don't make themselves known. They aren't. <laughs> They're an know, NPC. Like They're they, just like, they show up and interact with the polities that do write the histories. Yeah. And, and so they, so it's very easy when you are not the protagonist to just be, uh, to have every, to have whatever the person writing the history or the scholarship, um, that you can just be a canvas onto which they can project, uh, what, what helps things make sense. Um, which is like, which isn't 
which sounds more conspiratorial than I mean it, but it, it, it is just sort of a matter of like, that's what inferences are. Yeah. So like, that's, that's sort of like looking at like what, like say knowing like, well, there's a hole here. What could fill it? What could fit in this, this, the shape of this yeah, hole? That's what sort of and, deductive reasoning is. Yeah. And so, um, what, the sorts of ideas that have been put forward about the Bronze Age to me reflect more of what the researchers have seen around them mm. and um, and then like perhaps more frequently like what um, also thinking about like who's funding things and like what like what's hot like what's like cutting edge kind of research and what kinds of ideas you can um, are are gaining traction are sort of leaking in from other fields or or just sort of like of other other things that are happening elsewhere or sort of added like to the general elsewhere. list of like why are you doing this that we that we've accumulated yeah sort of yeah why, why do you study <laughs> this why is this for you so I, I, uh, yeah. So, you know, this is also a lot of like, um, white Western global North, whatever mm-hmm. researchers that, and so this is becoming part of my like larger thing of, uh, studying pale ontologies. Oh, paleont- pale ontologies. <laughs> I worked on that. I was workshopping. Okay. It. So we can look at, um, so when I was thinking about this and thinking about how we talk about the Bronze Age collapse, what I thought about was something that something that's been like a shift in the um, research around a different collapse, wink, that <laughs> happened about a thousand years before. And so this is the fall of the Akkadian Empire, which I think we I th- I feel like we probably discussed because there was a for a long time, there was a pretty um, plausible uh, theory that it was uh, kind of sudden climate change mm-hmm. and that climate change sort of precipitated a shift in the um, the economic or political structures. But something that came out recently, there was a paper that came out recently in the journal Antiquity that looks at... Um, that that looks at some um, human bones, so uh, and and does some um, sort of uh, what's described as biochemical analyses mm-hmm. of these bones from several several sites that were sort of in the in the the sphere of the Akkadian Empire at this point of uh, decline, collapse, whatever. And so this is the 22nd century BCE. So this is a thousand years before the Bronze Age collapse. But this is another famous capital C collapse in sort of greater Western Asia um, and and, and sort of where um, Near Eastern archaeologists like to hang out. Mm. Um, And so there is a, um, there was something written um, for the ancient Near East today uh, from, from ASOR um, with, that has the title rapid change of climate did not cause the fall of the Akkadian empire oh. um, because according to the, um, according to this research and sort of a, this, this author's uh, kind of analysis of uh, other lines of research on this topic um, 
they sum it up really nicely um, when they say um, that when the Akkadian Empire was declining, there was no change in the local economy, which could be a response to long-term drought. And even if there was a temporary climate change, the local human society survived it in good condition. Hmm. Um, so, so I'll include that in the show notes, but just this, this idea of, which, which brings us, which brings me back to this idea of like, well, what's collapsing? Like what happened? Like what is a collapse? And, and sort of also brings us back to this idea of inferring the sea peoples, like as this like exogenous force that caused a collapse, but a collapse among the, uh, the people who are describing themselves as the structures of power and also a collapse among the 19th and 20th century researchers <laughs> who are trying to figure out what happened to their faves. This is something that we should be thinking about. What do we have in the archaeological record that we stop having when a collapse has happened? And so if this is if this is research excavations being done at certain sites that stop being occupied or whose occupation seems less robust, uh, we see less writing. Uh, so I've seen the Bronze Age uh, collapse described as a bunch of sites that have uh, like palaces that have burned and sites that have been destroyed or attacked, even though sometimes there's no evidence of attack, but something bad, like a conflagration happens. There's like a reduction in literacy, like all of these things happen. But what does that actually mean to the average person? Um, because, um, and not everybody has like not not I know that not everybody sees sort of property damage as a victimless crime but just this idea of like if a palace is burned or if a if if the site if the structure of the site has changed and if there is less writing that doesn't mean that doesn't by itself mean much about the lived experiences of the people who um, made up these places and existed outside the palace walls and existed outside the diplomatic relationships among sort of the club of powers of these various powerful, um, highly stratified, um, resource controlling entities that just like called each other my brother <laughs> and like right the light, like my brother where's my like where's my cedar and it's like oh my brother it's where you left my silver and that's yeah like, this me talking about the amarna letters but it's just sort of like that it's just sort of people who this sort of always gets back to this idea of what i think it was uh peter michalowski that that described like the assyriologist made the akkadian empire real um <laughs> by believing it and and that the, the sort of like is this is there a, some truth to that here like did the bronze age not actually collapse it just stopped looking the way it did um bronze age archaeologists mm -hmm. wanted it mm -hmm. to um and so i think i think we'll be getting to that more throughout this episode but i i just sort of want to give uh folks some um, some stuff to mull over in their brains as we go through this it was just like what how do you, 
Because what if it were like at the end of the Akkadian Empire where we have evidence to suggest that people were doing fine, like physically, like yeah. <laughs> that they weren't um, like, what if it's but, just the structures that change? And I don't mean physical building structures. I just mean like structures of power. Yeah, because, you know, just, you know, not every, but most statistically, most people weren't <laughs> Ramses the third. And maybe that's a good thing. Probably. Okay. Well, continuing um, on ASORS, the ancient Near East today, current news about the ancient past. That's their like little tagline. Um, this is from a 2016 blog post. And I'm going to quote here. And so. What I've tried to do for this episode is set it up so that we have a little bit of historical context and Amber has set up kind of the intellectual context, um, the sort of scholarly context of thinking about these things, thinking about scholars, thinking about these things. And then we'll kind of get into a handful of the theories of who the sea peoples were and we can sort of look at them through those lenses. So from this 2016 blog post, quote, by about 1900, this hypothesis that being uh, Maspero's hypothesis that the sea peoples has sort of tromped through and brought the late Bronze Age to an end, um, this hypothesis had become so solidified that Egyptologists and other archaeologists essentially took it as a fact, even though there was no real proof that's what had happened. At the time, even the mere existence of the Sea Peoples was only documented in the records left by Ramses III and by Renepta, who ruled 30 years earlier. Each claimed to have fought against an invasion of these Sea Peoples. Merenepta said it happened in the fifth year of his reign, which would have been about 1207 BCE, while Ramses III said he fought both a land and a naval battle, that explains those boats, against them in his eighth year, which would be about 1177 BCE. In both cases... So this mm -hmm. is... The evidence is the... Like, this This was all the evidence that it took for it to yep. be like, yeah, duh, sea peoples. Yep. So two references... 40 years apart. Um, yes, there there are some 30, 30 years apart. There are a couple of other things, but I'm not sure when they became sort of known to Egyptologists. So at that time, though, Was one of those things evidence of a naval battle? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, don't get your hopes up for that. Uh, <laughs> but in both cases, although we'll get back to this, in both cases, these battles, uh, the Egyptians won. Oh. According to the Egyptians. Like, yeah, well, oh. Yeah. Bernepta says that the invaders whom he defeated included the Shardana, Shekelesh, Luka, Teresh, and Ekwesh. These are the names of like the Sea People groups, exonyms. While Ramses III said the invaders in his time were the Shardana, Shekelesh, Jeker, Denyen, Weshesh, and Peleset. So there are five groups the first time, six groups the second time, but two of the groups overlap for a total of nine groups. Yep. I know one of those names. You sure do. Mm. So let's, we've got a little teaser, but let's take a quick break and then dip our toes into the debates over origin stories. 
It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. We're back. And so now we get to the theories. Who were the sea peoples? Where did well, they go? They just, you just said their names. I did. I did. So we just go find their, their homeland. Mm-hmm. Labeled on a map somewhere. Yeah. Where, so it would be Kor Weshesh, the land of the Weshesh. That's a joke Got for it. a very small group of people. <laughs> uh, so where did they come from? Were they Vikings? Right up top? No, they were not Vikings. Okay, so theory one. There were Trojans displaced by the Trojan War. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about is um, on on the spectrum of like tenuous to, eh, sure, uh, linguistic links between the names, these between these groups and the proposed places of origin so in this case this one is mostly based on the weshesh group of invaders so core weshesh core weshesh little is known about core weshesh but there is a link to troy giant question mark like a really iffy one so we're getting from amber's like possibly unreasonable judgment against the ocean to Amber's possibly unreasonable judgment against people that make tenuous linguistic links to like make huge leaps in the archaeological record, especially when it comes to the classics. Great. I'm glad that I'm. Yeah, this is just a we're two for two. It's like (laughs) the ocean is involved and tenuous. And and like Amber in the bathroom being like, shut up, nerd. But please go on. I will. So the Greek name for the city of Troy was Ilios, 
But this may have evolved, (laughs) may have evolved from the Hittite name for the region, Wilusa. If, if, if the people called Weshesh by the Egyptians were indeed from Wilusa, then sure, maybe they were Trojans. But that's a big if. So like, did Weshesh come from Wilusa is basically the, the, the silver bullet there. And so is, Wilusa is the Hittite name for the region where Troy was, which by the Greeks was, for the Greeks was Ilios. Oh, right. Because this, this was like uh, the uh, Emil Foray. So he's also the one who said that, okay, here we go. Um, Wilusa, Ilios, Ahiyawa, Ahiyawa, um, Achaean. Hmm. Yep. So, yep. 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 Um, yep. Ahiyawa. Yes. Ahiyawa was the word name for Greeks. Yeah. Because it was Achaeans in like Homeric. And that Greek also, yeah, that like also comes up in same, two people's Same stuff. guy. Yeah. Same guy. Same guy. Same guy. Yeah. So. Okay, most of the links drawn from the names of the invading groups, the ones that are listed on these inscriptions by Ramses, are linguistic. So here is an excerpt from a ThoughtCo article by Latinist and historian N.S. Gill. Quote, The Egyptians originally coined the name Peoples of the Sea. Sorry. Not me. No, I know. I was thinking about Chicken of the Sea. For the foreign contingents that the Libyans brought in to support their attack on Egypt in 1220 BCE during the reign of Pharaoh Merneptah. So that's his battle, the one that was about 30 years before Ramses. Uh The one with the five five Mm. folks. Yeah. In the records of that war, five sea peoples are named. Again, Shardana, Teresh, Luca, Shekelish, and Ekwesh, collectively referred to as northerners coming from all lands. And just like, we should have stuck with that. Because it turns out that's really accurate. <laughs> People roughly from the north of Egypt coming from lots of different places. But let's not, no spoilies. The evidence for their exact origins is extremely sparse, but archaeologists specialized in this period have proposed the following. Quote, still quoting from N.S. Gill. The Shardana may have originated in northern Syria, but later moved to Cyprus and probably eventually ended up as the Sardinians. Okay, Shardana, Sardinia. Okay, maybe. The Teresh and Luca were probably from Western Anatolia, modern day Turkey, and may correspond to the ancestors of the later Lydians and Lycians? 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 However, the Teresh may also have been the people later known to the Greeks as the Tirsinoi i.e. the Etruscans, and already familiar to the Hittites as the Tauruisa, which latter is suspiciously similar to the Greek Troia. That makes no sense. Like, all of those things are just names that kind of sound alike. I, I don't really feel the need to, like, dive into this. It's just, like, take it with so many grains of salt. Take it with an ocean full of salt. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, well. Yep. <laughs> I've got one. Yeah. This is the second theory that it's what Ramsey said. 
Yep. It's a theory. Um, and also, we're going to have a little callback to the one we just had. So, Indeed. What? what? Um, so, first of all, we've definitely said this on the show before, but not for a while, so it bears repeating. The things that Egyptian pharaohs and, like, other people who say, write this down, <laughs> uh, said they did are not always true. Um, and so remember, um, royal art is nothing if not propaganda, or as we uh, discussed in the, the Assyrians episode, it's sometimes it's not propaganda, but it's imbued with propaganda. <laughs> That's not the same thing. No, don't. I'll get mad. <laughs> so this is exceptionally true for Ramses II or Ramses the Great. So he may have been the grandfather of Ramses the Third. Who is the, the pertinent um, Ramses for the, the who's who's the one who um yep. uh Medinat Habu mm-hmm. is his what well, is the, the contemporary name for the site of his mortuary temple. Um so you go Ramses the second, Ramses the Great, Ramses the Third Ramsey's the mid. So either way, <laughs> both rulers had conflicts with sea peoples in their records that in, they talked about. their specific records that they ordered written. Yeah. Yep. So early on in Ramses II's reign, the Hittites, remember them, mm-hmm. seized the important trade center of Kadesh, which is in modern day Syria. So in 1274... BCE. Ramses led his army to drive them out. Because he's like, get out of here. Like, like, because they're just like, we want to, we want to taste. And it's like, get out of here. Um, so these Egyptian versions of the Battle of Kadesh are recorded in two primary accounts, known as the bulletin or report mm-hmm. and the poem, which are often inscribed next to one another. Some of these also have reliefs accompanying them to illustrate to anyone who couldn't read hieroglyphics, which most it's like statistically most, people, most people because it has a very specific purpose that is not for like normies to read. Um, and so it was just like, oh man, Ramsey's big ups. Like that's the point. Wow, um, so cool the guy, bu- good at battles. The, the bulletin is repeated seven times and the poem eight times across temples in Abydos, the temples of Luxor, Karnak, Abu Simbel. And uh, the Ramesseum. Um, and also on two hieratic papyri. Also um, in Luxor. Mm-hmm. Luxor is across the river from Medinat Habu. Yes. Um, so there's sort of like all kind of reflecting back on each other. Mm. Um, so turns out <laughs> Ramses may not have even won the Battle of Kadesh, despite the fact that he's got a like huge art being like, look at me winning this battle and photographic and, you know, evidence <laughs> colorized. <laughs> um, so um, his claim of total victory is dispute is disputed by the Hittite account of their victory. Yep. So like I won, I mean, no, we won. Sure. It's like, um, shut up. in any case, but see Egypt has like better PR. Yeah. They had a better team. And so, it's better street team yeah, like yeah, yeah. doing their PR for them mm-hmm. than the Hittitologists did, even though like Hittitology is like a far superior name for what you do. Hittitology. 
Um, so in any case, the Kaddish inscription is important for this episode because of what it says about the Sea Peoples. Um, in Ramsey's account, the Sea Peoples are mentioned as allies of the Hittites, but also as serving in his own army as mercenaries. So um, specifically, like for the the Hittite army, mm-hmm. um, the um, so by this point, Willusa, yeah, was um, allied with Hittites, and there were Willusans. Uh, so there were Willusan soldiers, were like they in Trojans? the Hittite army. Shut up, nerd. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. So, like, so it is, so, like, there are Willusan soldiers who were in the Hittite battle. Yeah, the name shows up. And, like, the name, so, like, that's, that's who. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's no mention of where they came from or who they were, which suggests to scholars that the audience would have already had this information or perhaps, to this scholar, <laughs> perhaps it was irrelevant. Yeah. Like it didn't matter. Like Like, it did not matter. They fought. Um, the end. Yeah. And also like if they're mercenaries, they are simply soldiers of fortune. Um, so they, they would have known who the inscriptions referred to or again, didn't matter. Yeah. Um, so these were groups of people who had been around long enough to have garnered a reputation. So a mixed group of mercenaries, possibly of various origins, which given how confusing and contradictory all the accounts of these people can be kind of makes sense. Yep. And then I guess my, my theory 2.5, nobody cared. Like it's, yeah, <laughs> like it was, it's just to like, like Joe yeah. Egyptian or Joe Hittite. What did it matter who these mercenaries yeah. were and where they came from? It's something that matters later to scholars who want to piece together events. Yeah. Because if, but because if there weren't, I don't, I don't know enough about this to know about if there were like standing armies or like army is, or army is profession mm-hmm. like of just sort of like, you can like, were they mercenaries or were they like enlisted nationalistic, like, they, were they like an army of the government either, kind yeah. of thing? Right. So that's the sort of thing of like, that could make a difference because it's sort of like, we aren't thinking about like, oh, I'm a veteran of foreign wars. Like I fought in Kaddish, like, and just like, like my grandfather got enlisted. Like, like, is it that it's, it's not necessarily that kind of, no. it's just like, oh, like my neighbor four doors down was a soldier. Like that yeah, was what did it like look like he wrote on, the on the his ground, tax returns you know? like that that kind of yeah. thing like and and so it could just be irrelevant because if if like the point is for the king to um look good the less you know about about the particulars like, yeah like well just sort of like it doesn't it doesn't matter because the point they're just like thinking of it as narrative the point is big king of, look good yeah yeah Okay. He's so big. He's so big. He's bigger than like three people put together. Three yeah. little, little guys. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to cover two here. First, just right off the bat, theory number three. They were from Atlantis. Nope. Oh, they weren't. We've talked about this. Wanted to get that oh, out of so the way. Oh, so they were, what, like they, like they're. They were displaced. Their city sunk. Yep. And so they were. Yep. So like. Okay. Moving on. Great. Theory number four. They were Phoenicians. Maybe. 
Oh, here come the mollusks. Here come the mollusks. No, uh, we're really not talking about any mollusks uh, in the dye trade or otherwise. Murex. Murex snails. Yep. Famous among (laughs) Phoenicians for being purple when you squish them. Okay. So I'm going to preface this by saying that I got this one from Phoenician.org, a website titled Phoenicians in Phoenicia. So let's just say that maybe there's some potential for confirmation bias here. But uh, what <laughs> to a hammer, everything looks like a Phoenician. But here's an excerpt what? from Sea Peoples and the Phoenicians, a critical turning point in history, which is based oh, on a boy. paper presented by Sanford Holst at Al Akhawain University in Ifrain, Morocco in 2005. Okay. It's really long. I've excerpted a small piece. I. Yeah, it's another thing that you are not... My eyebrows are raised so high, I gave myself a headache. <laughs> my, your hairline has just become slightly lower <laughs> by, by two eyebrows. Quote, <laughs> as previously mentioned, some theories comment <laughs> upon, but do not look into, the curious fact that Phoenician cities seem to have been unaffected by the destruction which went on around them at this time. The description of the battle with the Sea Peoples at Medinet Habu was accompanied by pictures displaying battle scenes in which the Sea Peoples' boats were shown as having a very peculiar design. The forepost and aft post were identical and each had a bird's head at the top. A researcher that I cited and I doesn't not relevant here, traced this design to vessels found only in Central Europe along the Danube River Corridor. Oh, God. Tenuous leaps. The Danube River emptied into the Black Sea on the north side of Anatolia, where boatmen from this region could join the rest of the Sea Peoples. It should be noted that the names of several groups among the Sea Peoples were not found anywhere in the Anatolian or Aegean regions, and might reasonably have designated people who came from the Black Sea area. I gotta go. Yeah. I. So it is a very long article slash paper, but the overall conclusion is that some of the Sea Peoples might have been Phoenician, which is from modern day Lebanon and surrounding areas, but also a bunch of other groups from elsewhere who may or may not have been in partnership with the Phoenicians who had a lot to gain from the Hittite and Egyptian empires taking military and economic hits. So basically this author's like, Mm, no Phoenician cities were disrupted or or destroyed or or you know suffered any losses at this time. Interesting, suspicious, uh, and therefore, like the the leap across a chasm to a conclusion is therefore Phoenicians were among the Sea Peoples because Sea Peoples wouldn't raid their own stuff. Let's take one more ad break so Amber can um, work her eyebrows back down to where they go. And we will get to one last theory and then some actual archaeology that maybe supports that theory. (laughs) Hey, fans of APN Podcasts. We've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality T-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com slash shop. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop, and click on the link. 
and we're back. I have injected Botox into the, <laughs> no. the two parallel lines between my eyebrows. <laughs> um, and so here's the final theory. The, the it's final, final theory. theory. This is yeah, and this is the one where I just like fully just like have to go. Um, I just also remember that I. <laughs> We don't talk about the Bronze Age a lot. This is on why, show, and it just this is this why. is why this is just like it's a lot of guessing. Oh, so much guessing. Um, mm, mm, brings <laughs> back a lot of like mm, memories of my own education. So, for the record, I, there are. I think you're going to like the conclusion that we reach at the end of this one, though. I think I I hope it's fine. Okay, it's fine. I, it's not. I tried really hard that I've had to spend so much time learning about people being like my brother gold my brother and me being like nobody cares <laughs> um there are many other theories out there but they are less credible than the theories we presented here imagine so there are claims that descendants of the Sea Peoples were Gaulish or Celtic maritime groups that were written about by Julius Caesar, which is a take, mm. um, but not, no thank you. Um, we're getting into Theory 5. And when I said, I know that name, it's because we're talking about the Philistines. Um, which also when I was just like, is it like a Bible thing? I was like, are the sea people's a Bible thing? And then I went to Google and of course like, be like, are there sea peoples in the Bible? I just like, I don't know why. 34 years. Don't know how to use a search engine. The first records of the Philistines are inscriptions and reliefs in the mortuary temple of Ramses III at Manidat. Madinat Habu, where they appear under the name Purus. <laughs> yeah, uh, we listed them above earlier as Peliset. So, like, when Peliset, you heard that, yeah. and you, if your little ears perked up at Peliset, here's why. First. First. Um, after losing to the Egyptians, they Egyptian. settled, possibly with the Egypt's permission, on the coastal plain of what is today Palestine from Joppa. So, um, or Jaffa or Jaffa, mm-hmm. um, which is today Tel Aviv, um, southward to Gaza. Um, so there are no documents in the Philistine language. So Mm-mm. they didn't write anything. Yeah. Um, so we don't know what Philistine was as a language. And so there is a site on the uh, southern Mediterranean coast of what's today Israel. The site is called Ashkelon. People have been excavating there for a billion years. Yep. Um, and so the city itself dates back to the Neolithic. And over its history, um, it has been under the control because it's a it's nice a little port, port city. city on the Mediterranean by the ancient Egyptians, the Canaanites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people who lived there. Yeah. Um, yep. The Philistines... The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Phoenicians, the Hasmoneans, the Romans, the Persians, the Arabs, then like the Crusaders, then yep. the Arabs. Um, and they were destroyed by the Mamluks in 1270 CE. And so, but in the Iron Age, which followed the 
Bronze Age, mm. um, it seemed to be a deemed a Philistine place. At least Philistines were there. Philistines were present. In 2013 CE, uh, a cemetery was found with more than 200 burials contemporary with the Philistine settlement at Ashkelon, just outside the ancient city walls. The cemetery, which was used during the late Iron Age between the 11th and 8th century BCE, was the first Philistine burial ground ever found. The archaeologists documented burial practices that were distinct from the Philistines' Canaanite predecessors and their Egyptian neighbors. For example, in several cases, little jugs of perfume were tucked near the head of the deceased. Finding Philistine human remains also meant there might be potential to find Philistine DNA. The Southern Levant does not have a favorable climate (laughs) for the preservation of DNA, which can break down when it's too warm or humid. Uh... Two things that the Southern Levant often is. Sure is. Uh, Nonetheless, the researchers were able to sequence the whole genome of three individuals from the cemetery. The team was also able to to extract DNA from the remains of four infants who had previously been found in Philistine houses during excavations between 1997 and 2013. These children were buried in the Iron Age in the 12th or 11th century, shortly after the Philistines' supposed arrival in the region. The results showed that the four Iron Age infants all had some genetic signatures matching those seen in Iron Age populations from Greece, Spain, and Sardinia. The researchers interpreted these results as evidence that migration indeed occurred at the end of the Bronze Age or during the early Iron Age. If that's true, the infants may have been the grandchildren or great-grandchildren of the first Philistines to arrive in Canaan. That timing lines up with the occurrence of the Sea Peoples in other historical records. Intriguingly, their DNA already had a mixture of Southern European and local signatures, suggesting that within a few generations, the Philistines were marrying into the local population. In fact, the European signatures were not detectable at all in the individuals buried a few centuries later in the Philistine cemetery. Genetically, by then, the Philistines looked like Canaanites. End quote. And this is unlocking some memories that I have of conversations with people who have worked in this region. Mm -hmm. This period of time and this sort of research and indeed the Philistines can be a very touchy topic. Sure can. um, Because it is very expedient for like various like sort of uh, religious and political angles around who owns this place and who has a right to it and who is it because uh, when excavating when you find a burial there are cultural traditions and social mores around Jewish burials yeah. and what mm-hmm. is supposed to happen with someone's bones and what is supposed to happen to their physical remains after death. And so there is a, um, there are some sites that some teams or perhaps some individuals on some teams who don't necessarily, aren't necessarily quick to report because they want to study as much as they can before somebody comes in and says, it is likely that this was a Jewish burial. And Put so it back, like, shut it stop. down. Yeah, basically. And so that's one, that's one issue um, that, um, th- that comes up. But the other thing that comes up that I actually take an issue with, because like, I don't mind 
people like far be it from me to be the person that's like that sort of privileges sort of callous study of skeletal remains over respecting the wishes of a community yeah a descendant community sure Mm -hmm. like not a problem like that that's fine i think it's like super gross that people are like uh sort of thing yeah um no i agree but um the other thing is figuring out was it a like is it a, a, a jewish burial like and sort of and this comes into staking an ancestral territorial claim but but like ashkelon which is in israel yeah um and like uh and, and so these are so these are questions like these are sort of um what somebody could convince themselves is just a scholarly question and they just want to understand like sort of the ancient history but it has current and future ramifications and so this is something where um, if you can argue that the sea peoples are the philistines which means that they came from somewhere else and settled and like were not indigenous right you could make a claim um, that they then that don't belong there exactly yeah and and so that is something that um i'm sure those claims have been made oh indeed mm. perhaps they're being made right now indeed mm. oh i hear them what i hear on the, on the horizon <laughs> um so yeah so that's sort of the tip of the iceberg and, and so this is yeah this yeah and so this is sort of i think that's a good this could be a good point this is not what this episode is about and like we but like that this is where those sorts of theories it's another way that they can come out and kind of reflect like using the past as a mirror and using the archaeological record as a mirror and um and so by using inferences sometimes where you Sometimes you're not just doing deductive reasoning from the data points in front of you. You're pulling from other sources too, which could be current events Mm. or who pays your salary or like, Mm. uh, like your, like sort of what, what informs you as a researcher as much as what informs your research. Yeah. So Uh, research is not objective. Throw some science at me. Sure isn't. Research is actually me search. Me search. Yeah. I am going to throw some science at you. I'm going to lob it yes. gently. I am not using this this particular study. I'm not trying to force a conclusion one way or the other. In fact, rather the opposite. So, okay. I um, so just to set the stage, right? So we've got Philistine cemeteries with burials from which DNA was extracted. And what it shows is that this population, which seems to match, you know, the, the burial customs of Philistines, um, the DNA had multiple signatures, both coming from Southern Europe and matching the local population. So there was a lot of population intermixing. So, Around, around the end of the Bronze Age, start of the Iron Age. So that tells us two main things. First, implicitly, 
DNA does not constitute ethnicity. We can learn about someone's origins mm-hmm. from their DNA, but it tells us very little about their culture or society or claim to a territory, which arguably mostly define ethnicity. So if, yeah. 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 You know, like the Persian ethnogenesis happened before 23 and me. They yeah. were like, I got my test back. Turns We're out Persian. I'm 100% <laughs> a Persian. Oh boy. Yep. If these researchers at, at Ashkelon had started with the Philistine DNA without having any context from historical sources, they might have come up with a totally different origin story for the Philistines. That said, since the Philistines were within a few generations genetically similar to the Canaanites who were there. Which also, I Canaanite just means person who lives in this region like yeah. historically described as canaan by external yeah it's writers. not it's not an ethnic like we've talked even, about that with like canaanite religion i think yeah. it was in a bonus episode but still like canaanite is just sort of a it, it's just it's i it's should kind of like, i should be saying like it's kind locals. of the laundry basket that you just sweep everything off the table into and be like uh yeah like that is sort of it's they aren't necessarily all the same things. Exactly. They could be related. So they're, they're just like, you know, they're the people who were already there. Yeah. So the people living there were similar to the people who lived there. Like it's- but then, but my point is that the people who then arrived at some point, who seemed to have arrived from somewhere in Southern Europe. Yeah. Pretty quickly intermarried, or, in, you know, I'm saying intermarried. I don't know what the customs were, but, you know, mixed, mixed it up enough to smooth out any major DNA differences. So we can, I, I'm going to take a, a little tiny leap and suggest that probably cultural stuff was mixed too. Probably. I, I just got lightheaded thinking about my, my company's um, diversity training slide about how like before <laughs> modern civilization, like people were, like, like we were like really tribal like closed off and i feel like the word tribal was used but i it think it was text, heavily implied no you texted me um, something with the word tribal in it and i went Ooh. yeah and and that like we like we were always warring and like un oh it's it's in human nature like, to be unagreeable to be hostile yeah to to be hostile and violent and be like this is this is mine. That is yours, and like you are not like me. Again, and me. This search? is not something. <laughs> mm. um, okay, so all of but, this, but that, but that is something that isn't doesn't seem to be the case here. Looking no. at the DNA evidence, that like this this place that is sort of a coastal Seems to have been this okay. place next to a major, um, like the Mediterranean Sea was hopping at this point. It's a hub, and so it seemed that people. We're coming and going, staying, not leaving. staying. Yeah. Just um, people and, were and, moving. And that it wasn't a sort of like, I am like, I am traveling here, doing my business and coming back. It's to a commuter town. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, com- I'm like commuting community. on behalf yeah. of, um, you know, of the, the, the Pharaoh. And, and if I do go, it's to like the, enclave the egyptian a specific enclave, neighborhood yeah um no, no not even not even neighborhood but just sort of like like outposts oh like okay, this okay idea okay. of like colonial outposts not, not enclave something. within a city i thought you meant sorry no no sorry. no but but that sort of like 
you know, like talking about like Kadesh and, yeah. and just sort of like Kadesh was was an Egyptian at this point. Yeah. But it's. Yeah. And that's really the difference is is what we're seeing in terms of calling a city Egyptian or whatever. It's it's who was administrating, who was sort of in charge of who pays the taxes or whatever. But f- which again, which for the person also on the has ground, a baseline assumption of participation in yeah, those sure. structures yeah like because like in in like our like contemporary society here in the u.s there are um lots of people that to varying extents don't count as part of sort of the structure. the structure yeah if we if we're defining it by like people paying taxes um what types of taxes they pay like are are like like i don't pay property taxes like i don't have property and like some folks don't pay um like sort of like thinking about like these systems that that continue and and like kind of what you count as participation i'm just trying to like get people to kind of get out of the the mindset of thinking about i mean a lot of this stuff comes down to like old-timey views of like civilization and also and the, the texts like, that sort of the original egyptologists and, and whoeverologists pulled from it's these these monumental inscriptions which reflect the lives of like two people and yet are inferred to describe the the structure of an entire civilization heavy and quotes. having two and also um having so i don't don't know a lot about egyptology or yeah, established history. that neither of us yeah. do <laughs> um but i do think that there is um there is some effective rhetoric so because i said so i studied like uh mesopotamian um history and also studied a bit of classical history. Um, and in those, you see sort of like echoes of like, pre, you sort of see like reprises <laughs> of like these movements in history. And sort of like I, um, you know, you got Sargon the Great named after Sargon. You've got, you've got kings that are fighting the same like the kind of the same battles you've got you've got um, two Ramses fighting you've got George W Bush yeah (laughs) and George H W Bush (laughs) like speaking of like battles in the in the Mesopotamian region Uh, but this uh, these ideas of like sort of uh continuing business finishing business um but you know we've got the one where you you fight five sea peoples this one I got six and, and sort of like these ideas two of of, them are the same as your sea peoples, <laughs> but, but, but these, but, but like these ideas of like, there is also something to be said of, um, I'm doing King stuff and King stuff includes having battles. My father here. fought this war. His father fought this war and I'm now and, king and, like, and I fight this war. Yeah, and sort of like I am maintaining the the Egyptian presence in this region. And so I think that there's also having it show up more than once hmm. doesn't mean a lot to me. Right, it just means um, that like... Uh, it means that it like worked, it like got like good play the first time. Yeah. And and so that that's something that I... I'm really like reeling from the fact that 
it was like pretty much cemented in the like 1900s Egyptological mind um, by the the turn of the 20th 19th century. Cent- the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I that they're just so like, like two guys oh, yeah, were just he, like yeah, sea peoples. Here's who they like were. People, peoples, peoples from the sea, like peoples of the sea, and I'm just like I like are they like surfers, mermen? Like, like sort of like like this mermans, like the Pisces. Yeah, um, but ah, uh, this just really Anna. Should I bring it home? Home Please. from home from the sea. So to do that. I'm going to pull from the abstract of the paper that the Smithsonian article refers to, the actual research paper Ah. about this this DNA study, which was published in 2019 in the journal Science Advances. Or Science Advances. Quote, During the 12th century BCE, coincident with these events, you know, sea peoples, substantive cultural changes appeared in the archaeological record of Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron, three of the five core cities mentioned as Philistine in the Hebrew Bible. These settlements were distinct from neighboring sites in architectural tradition and material culture. Resemblances between the new cultural traits and 13th century patterns found in the Aegean have led some scholars to explain this so-called Philistine phenomenon by a migration from an Aegean-related source, potentially associated with the Sea Peoples, a population that is thought to have settled in other parts of the coastal eastern Mediterranean. This hypothesis has been challenged by those arguing that this cultural change was driven by a diffusion of knowledge or internal development of ideas rather than by a large-scale movement of people. And in fact, so, so end quote from the abstract, in fact, as this study shows, there was indeed an influx of heavy quotes around foreigners, i.e. genetically distinct people, whose origins were somewhere in Southern Europe. So is the question of the Sea Peoples resolved? Sort of. Not really. What it seems like, and and as we've sort of, in each section of this, it's become increasingly clear that this is an explanation that, that works pretty well, is that there were several different groups that accumulated under the general description of Sea Peoples, and were basically outside contractors working for whichever empire needed hired soldiers or just people moving around, doing stuff, going to different places. Not necessarily like under a flag. Yeah. So these were just like people on the sea. <laughs> well, like the, people just who like, used the sea to get from point A to point B right. to point so, C. Yeah, so just... So just... Then... Once some major battles took place, which probably had an impact on the broader economy, which was on the decline, it, it can be said. I mean, the, like, and like the top-down structured economy, yeah. not the like... Not local marketplaces. Pe- no, no, like, no. <laughs> no, but like big structure economy. Like that's... Yeah, like stock. Stock go down. Stock. Yes. Stock prices. Stock, stock go down. Yep. Um, and, and when that happened, those groups dispersed. And ended up in lots of places. So it's complicated and not what scholars in the 1900s thought it was. What a surprise. That's that is the conclusion that it we was reach. like a very like. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was an age of, of, of nations and that you want to the find 1900s or. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Just checking because. Yeah. Like a big time. Not yeah. the Bronze Age. And. 
No, so you want to see far fewer nations than people wish. It seems. Yeah, in no, it, you like to and so categorize by like putting. Yeah, as you said, putting things under a flag, putting people under a flag, organizing them by polity, which might not have been the case. Yeah, if these were people who, if if these were just like dudes who whose job was soldier and they just got like contracts, you know, like black, black water, um, <laughs> all the hits. bronze water. Bronze so water. you've got, um, mm-hmm. so you, so you've got like folks who work for bronze water who are like doing them and they get, they are hired or whatever to like participate in these military exploits. It's not, and it, it might not even be something so much as like, stuff went off and they're like, Ooh, gotta go. It's just sort of like We're done my contract now. ended. Yeah. So I like went, maybe was you go and settle down. Discharged. You just yeah. sort of, you like do whatever. And so I think there is a beautiful simplicity in what is probably the most likely answer to who the sea peoples were. And they were just people from the sea. Yeah. Who came by sea. Yep. And it's just sort of, and like, that is what. Why do we need more than Rams, that? That is, that is what was said. That's what he said. Madinet Habu uh, by Ramses, by whoever was writing on behalf of Ramses third. Just some people from the sea. People I'm not from saying. the sea. Or in French, les peuples de la mer. <laughs> yep. So with that. We disembark from the dirt at sea, wobbling slightly on solid ground and faintly green around the gills. We hope that you've enjoyed this themed series. Amber, we can now be done with the ocean. Uh, Stay tuned, though, for the next one. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have some fun. Um, But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To our subscribers over at Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Um. And so also, folks, y'all, friends, uh, head over to thedirtpod.com slash pass the mic. That's M-I-C, not the nickname for Michael, uh, to see what we're doing with that Patreon support. Yeah. And if you know someone, an undergraduate or graduate student whom this might benefit, send them the link. Spread it around. Also, um, we are open to we we are open to folks who want to serve as external reviewers for applications, mm-hmm. and also we are open to taking your money. <laughs> yes, if you want to donate to pass the mic, you can do that either through Patreon or um, through our PayPal. There's a there's a button, a little handy little button at the bottom of donate. our at the bottom of our website, thedirtpod.com, that says donate, and you can do but that. Also, PayPal.me slash the dirt podcast yeah buddy just throwing a lot of options at you here yeah um what are some other options people have for seeing us they can well they can find us um we're all over the internet we'll be in your ears next week with new content but until then you can find us on whatever podcast platform you like best maybe not apple Podcasts, and over at the dirt (laughs) or whichever one you hate the most yet keep using yep that's me I'm that. And also over at thedirtpod.com slash episodes for our whole back catalog. And also we are on the social medias. On Facebook, we are at The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod. 
Thank you so much, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday. Say goodbye to the nice people. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. No, you hang up. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.